I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back along to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiou, and on this edition, we're going to be looking ahead to Arsenal's trip to West Ham. Another big game for the Gunners in the title race, a big game for West Ham United as well, given how close they are uh, hovering above the drop zone. And I'm delighted to say that alongside me uh, for the first section of the show to uh, help us preview this one is uh, Toby Cudworth, 90 Min's uh, top cat, as he's known, uh, and West Ham fan as well. Toby, uh, welcome along. Great to have you, mate. How are you? Very good, mate. Thank you for having me on. I'm uh, I'm a lot happier having avoided defeat against Ghent in the Europa Conference League on Thursday, which was a pretty horrible performance from West Ham, but we didn't lose, and that is the main thing. So we're still on with a shot of being relegated and winning a European competition in the same year, which would <laughs> take a bit of doing. But yeah, thank you for having me on, mate. I heard a take on um, on the radio earlier today. I think it was from uh, Ian Abrahams, obviously a West Ham fan, TalkSport reporter. I think he said something, and uh, correct me, or if anyone out there is listening and heard it, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, but he said something along the lines of he wouldn't care if West Ham got relegated as long as they won a European trophy. I mean, surely the European trophy would mean very little if you're playing your football next season in the championship. Yeah, we would be financially crippled if we went down. There's absolutely no circumstances where I would want us to go down. I think every fan would say that. Um, yes, winning a European competition is extremely rare. And that would be something we could shout about for the rest of our days. But we couldn't be relegated for that because I'm not even sure how we would cope playing in the Europa League next year. Can you imagine the the exodus of players that we oh would have God, at West Ham? Yeah. Um, exactly. It, it would not be fun. And also, the championships a much more grueling schedule, isn't it? So if you had to cope with that and being in a, a European competition, playing on a Thursday, that would be a, a, a nightmare, wouldn't it? An absolute yeah. nightmare. Um, Toby, talk to us a little bit about West Ham's uh, season for some context here. Like, looking at how West Ham performed over the last few seasons, it, it baffles people, I think, looking from the outside in as to how they've got into this situation where they're three points above the drop zone going into the last few games. What's gone wrong at West Ham this season? What are the problems? What are the things that you've seen that have been frustrating over the duration of the season? It's, you know what, it's been such a weird three years for West Ham. So if you think back to COVID, March 2020, West Ham were in the midst of a relegation battle. They just brought David Moyes back in as manager to replace Manuel Pellegrini at the start of that year. And they were in deep relegation trouble before we had that two, three month break. Then did pretty well before the end, up until the end of that season. And then unexpectedly came sixth, unexpectedly came seventh last year, got to the Europa League semi-finals and expectations obviously went from here to here. And that reflected in the signings that West Ham made this summer. Lucas Paqueta, Gianluca Scamacca, Naya Figuered, three players with really good reputations in continental Europe and players who were tipped to push West Ham to the next level. But the drawbacks have been that they're playing with pressure now, that there is that expectation to do better. And they have been playing above their station. I think that's fair to say that the likes of Aaron Cresswell, even Jared Bowen, to an extent, good Premier League players, they had an exceptional couple of years. Mikel Antonio was brilliant for 18 months, leading the line when West Ham only had one striker. But eventually that kind of stuff catches up with you when your level drops a little bit. 
confidence gets hit. And the one thing that David Moyes perhaps hasn't got in his repertoire is tactical flexibility. He's always been a pretty safe manager in terms of this is his structure. This is his preferred 11. We know he's had favoured players when he was in charge of Everton. He took a couple of them to Manchester United. And West Ham kind of got found out playing the same system. And they haven't really changed things up this season, despite bringing in the players that I've mentioned. So I think it's more of a stylistic problem that West Ham have had. They haven't actually got the best out of the players that they've spent over £100 million to sign. And look, other teams have got better as well. The competition in the Premier League is as fierce as it's ever been. So West Ham have been bad at times, but they haven't been terrible. But if you look at the table, any one of those bottom nine teams, if they have three or four bad results, are in real danger of going down. Two wins out of your last three, though. Have they just been signs in the last few weeks that West Ham are going to have just enough to pull away from the trouble? Yeah, I think there's enough in the squads. Obviously, the names I've mentioned there show that the quality is in West Ham's team. Now, they beat Fulham 1-0 at Craven Cottage, which is a result many people probably wouldn't have expected to see. But we're at that part of the season now where you do get some quite freak results. Now, West Ham winning at Fulham isn't a freak result, but Fulham have been good. West Ham haven't. West Ham had 23% possession in that game. They weren't great, but they ground out the result. They got the win that they needed. They were spanked by Newcastle 5-1 before that, four days earlier. And before that, played Southampton at home and won 1-0 in another game that was really, really low on quality and quite bad to watch. But as you say, it's just about winning games now. It doesn't really matter how you perform as long as you get the right result. And those two wins were quite crucial because West Ham do have a difficult run of fixtures between now and the end of the season. Obviously, this Sunday is huge, but Manchester United coming up, uh, Liverpool, games that West Ham don't generally tend to do well in. David Moyes has got a pretty awful record against the, the perceived big six. So, yeah, those two wins that we've had in the last three could actually be huge and determine whether or not we do stay up. You mentioned David Moyes' lack of tactical flexibility what can we expect as the visiting side at the weekend? How do you think you'll set up against Arsenal? What are the characteristics that we're likely to find in this West Ham team at the weekend? So I've said that. And then in the last three games, we've played three different formations. So we're in complete experimentation mode. I think the, the light bulb has come on that something had to change. So 4-3-3 is typically what we've seen from West Ham this season, but we've had issues with fullbacks. Cresswell's not been informed. We've had Vladimir Sofal injured at various points. So Tilo Kera, who came in from PSG, but is actually a centre-back, has been filling in at right-back. Emerson Palmieri's been at left-back. He's more of a left-wing-back. He's really good going forward, not so tactically aware in a back four. And actually, West Ham played three centre-backs against Ghent on Thursday. Um, so kind of a 3-5-2 probably more of a 5-3-2 when you look at it from West Ham's perspective because they're so negative and defensive. I think West Ham might stick with playing three centre-backs um, this Sunday simply because of the threat that Arsenal pose going forward, the amount of goals that you've been scoring, the movement, the pace of Saka, Martinelli and Jesus. I just think West Ham would be um, missing a step if they played a back four. They'd be too open and too exposed. And Declan Rice would have an awful lot of work to do in that central midfield against Odegaard. Granit Xhaka and probably Thomas Partey as well. So I'd imagine it would be 3-5-2. 
Um, but West Ham sitting very deep, looking to absorb pressure and try and nick a goal on the counter-attack. Probably with Mikel Antonio up front to give Rob Holding um, a bit of a game. I'd imagine they'll try and target him as the weakness with William Saliba out injured. Well, seeing as you mentioned him, I've got to ask you about Declan Rice. Um being linked with a move to Arsenal at the moment. Um, and sort of as each week passes, we seem to see more and more people picking up on this story. Um, what's your understanding, first of all, of the Declan Rice situation? I know nothing's done yet, but how likely do you believe it is that Declan Rice does end up, for example, joining the Gunners? And and if you believe that that is a possibility, what would Arsenal be getting out of the England man? So first of all, I think it's a nigh on certainty that he leaves West Ham this summer. He'll only have two years left on his contract. And for West Ham to extract maximum value from a transfer fee, it's got to be this summer, regardless of whether or not they stay up. David Moyes has always said that it's going to cost at least £100 million. I'm actually not sure whether West Ham can command that transfer fee because of how things have gone this season. I actually think it's more in the 70 to £80 million bracket, um, which brings... Arsenal wins firmly into the equation. If it was 100 million, I wouldn't expect Arsenal to do that kind of deal. But we saw Agreed. the money that was potentially on offer from Moises Caicedo. I think 70 to 80 is achievable. Declan Rice is a player that I think would just help Arsenal go to an even higher level than what they've had this season. You've been really, really strong in central midfield. Thomas Partey has been great. Granite Shaka has been great. Um, Martin Odegaard's been the best Premier League midfielder for me this season but you look beyond those three players and you think where's the depth in Arsenal's team Jorginho obviously came in in January but for me is not going to be somebody that maintains the level that you require if you have an injury whereas Declan Rice is superb in the defensive midfield holding role cuts out passes in the passing lanes intercepts those little needling crosses where players get to the byline and they pull it back behind uh, the defensive line, Declan Rice is there to mop up for West Ham so often. But the one thing that he adds to his game or has added to his game in the last 12, 18 months in particular is driving forward with the ball, progressive yards, springing counter-attacks. There hasn't been a lot of that at West Ham, but when you do see a counter-attack being led, it's typically because Rice has broken up the play and then he's looking to get West Ham on the front foot. And above all else, he's a leader, um, really charismatic, really energetic. He's everything that you'd want in a top team player. And of course, he's English, which is great for the homegrown quota for Arsenal. So I think they're very, very firmly in the mix alongside Chelsea, who are in the mix for absolutely everybody. I don't think you can <laughs> ever predict who they're going to go after, but we know they've liked him for a long time. He could be on Liverpool's radar. Maybe we know they like him and they're obviously not going after Jude Bellingham now. And again, this is more of a a price thing. So he could be on Liverpool's radar. I don't see Manchester United so much, but Manchester City, again, could be losing Bernardo Silva this summer, could be losing Ilko Gundogan to Barcelona. That could be a good move for Declan Rice as well, um, particularly with Calvin Phillips probably leaving. So he's got his pick, so to speak. The only club outside of the big six I would rule out definitely are Spurs. Um, but I would say Arsenal probably up there with Chelsea as the two destinations I would see at this moment in time, although don't be surprised if City do come in. So one more question on Declan Rice, because whenever we talk about it on this podcast, that the prospect of him coming to Arsenal, one of the things that we always end up debating with myself and the guests or whoever's in the live chat box is 
Where does Declan Rice fit? Is he a six? Is he an eight? Can he do both of those roles? And does that make him a more appealing prospect? Where would you say that Declan Rice fit would fit into this Arsenal side right now? Because the way it's set up currently is with Partey in the six. And although Declan Rice is a fantastic player, I'm not taking anything away from him. I'm not sure that I would want to displace Thomas Partey. We know he's got injury problems and, and we know that, you know, from time to time we've been without him and that's been to our detriment. But if everybody was fit and firing and available, is there an argument that that Rice could play in that eight role that, for example, Granite Xhaka occupies at the moment? Absolutely. I think the one thing that's held Declan Rice back a little bit is the calibre of player that he's playing alongside. That's not to say West Ham don't have good players. They do. They're below station this year. But I think playing with better players would bring out the good stuff in Declan Rice's game. Now, technically, he's superb. He scored only a handful of goals for West Ham, but all of the goals that he does score are from outside the box. Wonderful curling efforts into the corner. He shoots with power. He's good with both feet. As I've already said, he drives forward with the ball. He's got a very good passing range. He actually has all of the skill set that you would want from a box-to-box midfielder. So if the preference was to keep Thomas Partey sitting in the anchor role as a six and to push Rice further on, I think he could do it. Um, And you'd probably see more output from him playing alongside the likes of Odegaard, Saka, Martinelli. There'd be more chances for him and more opportunity for him to show um, what he's made of going forward. Because as I've alluded to, West Ham are pretty defensive. So he doesn't actually get into that final third too often to show what he can do. Yeah, and it's clear that the the two eights in this Arsenal system do get those opportunities, as you've highlighted. Look at Granit Xhaka, how often he's got forward this season and scored goals. Uh, Martin Odegaard as well is having a fantastic season in terms of goal scoring um, and sort of creativity. I know he's a more attack-minded player than Xhaka, but it just goes to show you that even with, with someone like Xhaka on the other side... Mikel Arteta is willing to push his eights really high up the pitch and almost make it a front five for Arsenal at times when they're in possession. I think that's been one of the big keys uh, to their success so far. Um, Do you expect West Ham then to avoid the drop would be sort of the next question. Um, I mean, you mentioned some difficult fixtures, but I think they'll probably have enough. I think we'll be all right, but it's that old chestnut of there will be three teams worse than us. It's not necessarily because we're going to fight our way out of trouble by stringing together a load of results, but... There's a lot of traffic down there, isn't it, which helps. Yeah, and there's a lot of teams playing each other, so they're going to be taking points off each other, which is helpful. And I just look at teams like Southampton. I said that game a few weeks ago, West Ham won 1-0. There was no quality on display from either of the two teams, but Southampton were particularly poor. I think they're not going to have enough to stay up. Nottingham Forest... Are dreadful away from home. They are fully reliant on picking up points in their home games. And I just get the feeling that the pressure is obviously ramping up on Steve Cooper even more so now that the club have said we're backing him and he's not going anywhere. If anything, that was the wrong thing to do to come out publicly and say we're standing by him because two or three bad results now, I think Forrest could still make a managerial change even with about four or five of the games of the season left. So I think they might go and look, Leeds can have a really, really bad game in them as well. Got absolutely spanked by a Palace team who can't score goals. Everton can't score goals. I think there's enough around West Ham to make sure that they survive, basically. But it's probably going to be a a 14th place finish 
12th if we're really really lucky but i expect palace and wolves to pick up points so 14th is what i'm aiming for and if we can get to the european conference or europa conference league final that would obviously be amazing um a great day out for everybody and then reset next season and just kind of build around these core players Pacreta and skamaka but unfortunately probably not with declan rice around how do you see sunday going then i know I- I know a lot of people don't like making predictions, myself included. Um, but I'm interested to to understand kind of your mindset going into this game. Is it is it it's Arsenal, they're flying this season, let's just get this one out of the way? Or or do you view this as a game that is a genuine opportunity for, for West Ham to A pick up points, but then B give themselves maybe the confidence boost that they need to really accelerate away from the danger zone? It should be a game where the players are looking at it and thinking. We've got 60,000 fans behind us. It's a London derby. It's a chance to dent Arsenal's title aspirations while earning a vital three points. And it should be a really raucous atmosphere. I actually get the feeling it's going to be really tense, really nervy. And it's all going to be dependent on how those first 10, 15 minutes go. And if West Ham are slow out of the blocks and Arsenal come out of the traps flying, like we've seen in many games this season, you could nullify the crowd quite quickly. Um, I actually fear for us, I've predicted 3-1. I did the preview today. I think Arsenal are going to run out of 3-1 winners. And there's also an element of history to attach to this as well. So I've already said that David Moyes has got a shocking record against the big six and West Ham tend to go into their shell for whatever reason against teams with a bigger reputation. But West Ham have only beaten Arsenal twice in the last 15 years. And that equates to two wins in the last 31 meetings. So... Arsenal have got the wood over West Ham. And don't forget, we were 3-0 up against you at the London Stadium. You came back to draw 3-3. I know that that was two years ago, but those things stick in the memory of players. A lot of that West Ham team that are currently in the side now were playing then. So they'll remember that. And that was against a team who are nowhere near as good as this incarnation of Arsenal. So I think you're going to run out 3-1 winners. I'd anticipate an early goal. Um, and I expect the quality of Odegaard to kind of run that midfield. Um, And for Declan Rice to perhaps not stand out in the way that you might want to see him just because he's going to be overloaded. I'm I'm absolutely fine with him not standing out at (laughs) at the weekend. That's that's absolutely fine by me. You mentioned Martin Odegaard there as well. I think going back a couple of years to that game where um, Arsenal came back from, from three goals down, I think that was the making of Martin Odegaard at Arsenal. I think that was the point where people went, yeah, this guy's a player. Like, we need to tie him down. We need to get this deal done. Um, because I think there was a, a mixed opinion on him at, up until that point. I think some people could see the sparks and and sort of little bits and pieces of his brilliance. But I think that was the game where everybody went, he can take a game by the scruff of the neck, control it, and really influence the outcome. So, um, yeah, good memories of that day, even if it was uh, just a draw in the end. Um, Toby, thank you so, so much, mate. Really, really appreciate your time. Uh, let people know how they can follow you on social media, um, what you're up to and, and how they can keep across all your fantastic work. So you can usually find me on the 90 Min Talking Transfers podcast that I do with my colleagues, Scott Saunders and Graham Bailey. Uh, my Twitter handle is Toby uh, at Toby underscore Cudworth. And you can read a lot of my writing over on the 90min.com website specifically under the talking dash transfers uh, section. But thanks for having me on, Harry. Appreciate it, mate. I hope you don't enjoy Sunday too much. Sorry to the (laughs) listeners and everybody um, watching. 
I hope West Ham can put in a performance, but I think you're going to have the last laugh. So uh, we'll have a beer after it on Sunday and you can uh, you can rub it in my face, I'm sure. Fingers crossed. I won't rub anything in your face. Don't worry. <laughs> um, don't worry. We both hate Spurs, right? So we've yes. got a lot Yes. Yeah, we've got common ground there. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, Toby, thank you so much, mate. And, uh, and I'll speak to you soon. I'll see you on Sunday. See you at the game. Thank you, mate. Take care, mate. That was the brilliant Toby Cudworth from 90min.com, West Ham United supporter, uh, sharing with us some insight ahead of that game, uh, some insight on our opponents at the weekend. Uh, big hello to everybody who's uh, joining us in the chat box. Hope you're all good. Hope you're all well. Uh, we're going to focus now on the Arsenal side of things. Um, big game, isn't it? Big old game. Every game at the moment just feels like um, a, a cup final. Every game feels like it's got incredible importance. And I feel like I start every preview uh, show that we do um, with with kind of the same uh, with, with kind of the same line, the same rhetoric, because it feels that important at the moment, doesn't it? It feels as though we can't afford to drop many points between now and the end of the season, given how close Manchester City are to us at the moment. And Whenever we come up against a, a London rival in a game of this magnitude, I always go back to that famous old line that Arsene Wenger said, where he said, it's harder for a London team to win the Premier League because of the amount of London derbies they've got to play. And when you look at the Premier League this season um, and in the past couple of seasons, that's probably become even more true because there are just so many London derbies right now. If you run through the Premier League table, you've got Arsenal, you've got Spurs, you've got Brentford, Fulham, Chelsea, Palace, um, West Ham, all in the mix. Uh, so many London clubs that, you know, there is that little bit of edge to those games. And there is more um, pressure, I believe, in a derby than any other match. So, yeah, um, you, you naturally worry about these games, don't you? Uh, Toby referenced... Uh, the game last season. We won that game last season. I was at that one. And the season before, uh, of course, we came back from three goals down to salvage that point against West Ham. And as I mentioned, that was kind of the coming of age of Martin Odegaard in Arsenal colours. Um, but this time around, um, I think the confidence should be high. I think that, you know, yes, it means a lot. Yes, there's going to be an element of nervousness as a result and as a consequence of that. But I think Arsenal have. Um, have proven to us that we've got to have more faith in them at this point and we've got to believe in them and we've got to trust them and we've got to go into games, um, you know, believing in what they do because they've done it so well throughout the duration of this season. And that's hard to always kind of remember when you're feeling nervous and stressed about games, but it is something that this Arsenal team have earned this season and something that they deserve to have from us. Um, as fans and as supporters. And that brings me on kind of nicely to Mikel Arteta's press conference today. I want to just touch on a few points that he made. And then I want to talk a little bit about the Saliba news. Um, Mikel Arteta revealed today that he is still out, still unavailable, uh, and isn't expected to be available for the next couple of weeks at least. Um, so we'll we'll talk about that. Um, but generally speaking, the mood around the press conference today, I thought Mikel Arteta was in really, really good spirits. Um, responded quite well, I thought, to a couple of tricky questions, a couple of questions that were clearly designed to trip him up, potentially get that headline uh, out of him. Um, as I say, he talked about Saliba. He said, look, we're hopeful we'll have him available in the next few weeks. He said he's progressing well, but he confirmed that he's unavailable at present 
And of course, um, you know, he hasn't gone out onto the grass yet with the rest of the team. So, uh, you know, still a bit of a way to go there for the Frenchman. Um, Afsar in the chat says, honestly, is Saliba out for the season? Well, we've got no evidence of that. We've got nothing uh, to suggest that that is the case. But, you know, when you listen to sort of it from week to week and one minute you think, yep, he's he's in and he's available and he'll be back. And then you go into the match week and you hear that he's not. It, it can be a little bit disheartening, can't it? And there is that that suspicion that comes over you as a fan. Are the club hiding something from us? Is this worse than actually we're led to believe? Because we've been burnt by that in the past. But I think what Arsenal have done or, or the approach Arsenal have adopted, at least since Mikel Arteta come in, is a very different one. It's not tell you that someone's going to be out for two weeks and then they are actually out for four weeks, five weeks, six weeks. And that creates frustration and anger among the fan base. Are we being lied to? Why haven't we been told the full story? I think actually what we get now is is basically zero information. And so you can't make any uh, inferences from that or, or draw any conclusions from that. If, if you do, you're guessing and the club will always be able to stand back and say, hold on a minute. I didn't say that. We didn't give you that. Um, my suspicion, my guess would be that William Saliba will be available for Manchester City away. My concern is, would Arsenal in that instance and in that set, in or under that circumstance, I beg your pardon, would they be rushing him back and putting him in cold in a game that is going to have huge repercussions on the title race? This is where I worry um, because I'd, I'd, I'd love to... Um, to say, yep, he's going to be back and that'll be fine. But if he's been out for so long, to to come back in with no practice in the lead-up in a game of that magnitude would have an element of risk. And then you've got to decide, as Mikel Arteta and, and as the Arsenal staff, is that risk greater than the risk of going into that game with Rob Holding playing? And, and that's where the decision has to be made. If Rob Holding continues to do okay, continues to build that rhythm and that momentum then would it be right to take him out of the side and throw in a centre-half who's been out for, by that point, what, four to five, maybe six weeks? I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of thinking to be done. There's a lot of decisions to be made. Um, Raul in the chat says he's got to be involved in the Southampton match. Maybe that, you know, maybe that'll be the point where we go, we've got to make a decision on him now. If he could play 20 minutes, 30 minutes in the game against Southampton at home, uh, next Friday, then that might put him in a position whereby he can uh, go on and get himself ready for the Manchester City clash. But th the worry of, of bringing him in cold is a real one. I know he's a much better player than Rob Holding. I'm not denying that for a second. And I'd rather have him at the heart of our defence than Rob Holding. Of course I would, but there is that thing, isn't it? Balancing it out and um, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Uh, so Mikel Arteta told us that. He also told us today that Eddie Nketiah is back fit and available. So he is available for selection for Arsenal this weekend. Um, Mikel spoke about the disappointment at Anfield. He was asking if his players were disappointed uh, by the fact that they conceded that late goal. And I mean, what kind of question is that? Obviously, they were disappointed when you're a few minutes away from getting what would have been a real statement victory in your pursuit of the Premier League title. Why wouldn't you be disappointed conceding that goal when you've given everything you fought tooth and nail really, really hard to try and uh, keep hold of all three points and you've surrendered two of them, what, three, four minutes from the 90th minute? 
of course you're going to be frustrated. Of course you're going to be disappointed. So I thought that was a bit of a strange question, uh, and I thought Mikel's answer was was pretty clear on that. Uh, he was also asked about the, and I quote, the boffins at Opta. Um, haven't heard that term, boffins, for years, uh, who apparently uh, make Manchester City numbers-wise slightly favourites now in the title race. Uh, Mikel, with a, a, a mic drop type answer, if we're being honest, said, well, hasn't it always been that way? If you'd have asked them at the start of the season, uh, that would have been their conclusion then. So what's changed sort of thing? I thought that was a nice answer because um, what he did there was not lump pressure on his team, not try and take pressure on himself, but almost making it clear that not a single person out there thought that Arsenal could compete with Manchester City full stop this season, let alone until this point in the campaign, eight games to go. Uh, so, yeah, I liked Mikel's answer there. I thought that was great. Um, I've touched on the Saliba thing already. We've talked about the fact that he's not going to be available. We've talked about the fact that, you know, you do wonder if Mikel will be hoping for him to get some sort of minutes under his belt and have some sort of involvement against Southampton before taking a decision like dropping him in uh, against Manchester City. But I've kind of been thinking a lot over the last couple of days about this Rob Holding thing, and, and I've sort of gone back over a couple of pieces of work I've done and and sort of a couple of interviews I've done and a couple of bits and pieces. And I have found myself, I have to admit this, I think it's good to look back at what you say and and try and be better. And I think what I've probably done a little bit too much of is, is express my concern over Rob Holding playing at centre-back. And maybe that's not what I should be doing right now as a supporter. Um, obviously my job is to talk about Arsenal. My job is to discuss my thoughts on Arsenal. And so I always want to be honest and I always want to give you, uh, my genuine opinion, even if I have been accused in the past of being on the payroll, absolute nonsense. But anyway, um, I, I just think that as a supporter, the supporter in me now wants to stop that and wants to stop highlighting Rob Holding as a weakness I know that David Moyes at the weekend will probably see Rob Holding as a weakness and, and would have seen it Rob Holding uh, as a weakness, whether I said it or not. Um, and I know that other managers will probably look at that as well because it's an obvious thing to look at. But I think we're adding pressure on Rob Holding by talking about this every single week at the moment. I think we know now that William Saliba is not available at the weekend. So let's just stop talking about the difference between Holding and Saliba because there's no point in crying over spilt milk. Saliba is not available. He's not available. So we need to focus on what we can do as a team and as a collective to help Rob Holding through these games. He's got a bit of rhythm now. He's played a few games. I thought at Anfield, generally speaking, he was okay. I thought, obviously, he made the mistake for the penalty kick. But outside of that, I thought he had a pretty decent enough game with the exception of one loose pass in the first half. But that's not to say... Gabriel's never done that or Saliba's never done that. You know, it happens. So I think we're really scrutinizing Rob Holding at the moment and he is very much under the microscope. And I just think that maybe now that we know for sure that Saliba's probably not going to be involved next weekend either, we should just kind of park that narrative and that discussion about Rob Holding and just focus on the team. And there are so many positives in this team. They've proven so many uh, fantastic um, or they've proven us themselves with so many fantastic results and performances this season. I think we should, um, I think we should just, um, 
yeah, just park it for now. Um, I'd love to see Rob Holding uh, prove everybody wrong, and fingers crossed he can do that. Um, but yeah, let's let's just that, that that's where I'm at. Look, as as someone who is literally paid to talk about Arsenal, I have to give an honest assessment and an honest opinion. But at the same time, the supporter in me now is 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 sort of telling me stop. Now, stop with the holding chat because you can say that holding is a weakness until you're blue in the face, but he is going to play. And Arsenal are very close to achieving something that would be incredible, an incredible feat. So don't allow this negativity to kind of cloud your mind all the time. And and what the holding thing has done for me personally, and I can only speak from a personal level, I don't know how other people feel, but what it's done to me is made me more nervous and meant that my enjoyment of being in this title race has reduced. And I should be enjoying this. I've waited years and years and years for this. I've been going and watching Arsenal, um, you know, up and down the, the country, wherever you name it, when they've been shit. And and so I, I deserve to enjoy this now. And I've got to stop letting little issues sort of really kind of... Um, impact on my enjoyment of that but that just goes to show how much I care and that's why I'm overanalyzing and and sort of going over the same things over and over again in my head and overthinking often can skew your view on something I I truly do uh, believe that guys I can see a few questions coming in the chat just hold fire on those and I will um, pick up as many as I possibly can a little bit later on in the show but we are going to talk about my starting lineup we're going to talk about um some of the statistics from both sides going into this one so we'll do all the usual bits that we do on the preview show but I'm just going to take a short brief pause uh, to let you guys know uh, about our sponsors NordVPN who are very kindly sponsoring the Chronicles of Aguna podcast at the moment. So the Chronicles of Aguna podcast is currently sponsored by the good people over at NordVPN. Uh, VPN stands for Virtual Private Network, and NordVPN was named one of Time's 2022's best inventions. It's a virtual private network that allows you to log into the web with an added layer of security, but also from different virtual locations. Now, the benefit of logging in from different uh, locations, or one of the benefits from logging in from different locations is that you can access content that isn't ordinarily available in the territory from which you are surfing the web. That means, for example, if you log on to Netflix and your virtual location is set to the United States, you'll get a different inventory of films, programs, and shows to watch. If you're looking for football that is geo-blocked somewhere else in the world or wanting to sign up to a subscription that is geo-blocked, you can change your location to somewhere where that is allowed and you'll be able to access all of those things. Ever been scrolling through Twitter, found a video that you wanted to watch, clicked on it, and it said, this content is not available in your country. Well, you can fix that using NordVPN. You can also search for flights if you're planning to get away, and you can book them at cheaper prices by looking from different locations. Sometimes looking from where it is that you're planning to go uh, can see you save a fair bit of money. Uh, And of course, you get that added layer of security by logging in via NordVPN as well. And we know that cybercrime is at an all time high. So NordVPN uh, is a fantastic product, a fantastic service, and you can get a huge discount 
by visiting www.nordvpn.com forward slash Chronicles AFC. Sign up via that link, which is in the description below, and you'll get, as I say, that huge discount, but not just that, four months additional free of charge as well. So do please uh, check it out. I'm sure you'll enjoy the product and it costs the price of one cup of coffee per month. The benefits uh, are brilliant. I use it to watch football uh, from Greece or Cyprus, which is geo-blocked in the UK. All I do, flick onto NordVPN, set my virtual location to Greece or to Cyprus, and that makes my life a lot easier and allows me to access content that I wouldn't ordinarily be able to get. So, yeah, check it out. NordVPN.com forward slash Chronicles AFC is the link. You'll find it in the description. And we thank them, as always, for their kind support of the podcast. Okay, let's get back to it. Let's do our statistical preview. Uh, I love doing this in the build-up to a game. Uh, I think it's um, a good way of just kind of getting the overall picture uh, with regards to the teams that we're discussing and the fixture uh, that we are looking ahead to. Let me flick over to the fixtures page. I was having a bit of a nose there. Uh, at the Premier League table a little bit earlier on. So, of course, this one taking place at the London Stadium at 2pm uh, on Sunday. That is UK time, of course. If we take a glance at the head-to-head uh, between these two sides, uh, Arsenal heavy, um, well, I was going to say heavy favourites. They should be favourites going into this game, yes. But uh, the record in terms of the head-to-head between these two sides is stacked heavily in Arsenal's favour. 35 wins uh, of the 53 games played. West Ham with just eight and 10 draws. Now, this is clashes between these two sides, of course, in the Premier League era. If we have a look at the recent meetings, the Gunners uh, beat West Ham United back on Boxing Day by three goals to one. Uh, Go back to last May when Arsenal uh, went to the London Stadium and won 2-1. Take it back to the 15th of December 2021. The Gunners beat West Ham by two goals to nil. And in the reverse fixture that season, um, Arsenal, of course, no, sorry, that was the reverse fixture of the season before, wasn't it? Uh, But Sunday, 21st of March, as we mentioned, West Ham uh, were 3-0 up against Arsenal and were pegged back a 3-3 draw in the end and go back to Saturday, 19th of September, 2020. Arsenal came out on top 2-1 winners. So Arsenal have won one, two, three, four out of the last five meetings with the fifth ending in that 3-3 draw, which was a really, really good game uh, for the neutral. And, and as I said earlier on, a big, big game, I think, uh, for Martin Odegaard in his Arsenal career. OK, uh, recent, uh, we've done recent meetings so far. Let's do... Um, form guide. Uh, West Ham, as we mentioned with Toby, they've won two out of their last three in the Premier League, but they've only won two out of their last five. So they're not exactly in superb form. Uh, It's better form than what they'd shown earlier on in the season, hence why they're starting uh, to see the light at the end of the tunnel, but still plenty of work for David Moyes' side to do. For the Gunners, four wins out of their last five victories over Bournemouth, Fulham, Palace and Leeds. All teams you'd expect Mikel Arteta's title chasers to beat, but they were held Uh, by Liverpool last weekend to a 2-2 draw after being 2-0 up. A little bit disappointing, but in the grand scheme of things, that's a pretty good return overall. Season so far, Arsenal sit in first. West Ham sit in 14th, and you're probably scratching your head. Why are we talking about West Ham as relegation candidates? It is so tight down there, and there is so much traffic in that area of the table at the moment that despite West Ham uh, being 
14th in the league. They're only three points clear of the drop zone. So there is uh, still reason to panic at the London Stadium. Arsenal have won 23 games in the Premier League so far this season. West Ham have won just eight. The Hammers have drawn on six occasions. The Gunners have drawn just four. Arsenal have lost three times. West Ham have lost 15 times. West Ham averaging less than one goal per match. Arsenal averaging just shy of 2.5 at West Ham on average concede 1.34 goals per game. Arsenal on average concede less than one. 12 clean sheets for the Gunners to West Ham, seven in the Premier League so far. And uh, that's the stats for you. Uh, in terms of top player stats, it's Arsenal players leading the way in goals, in assists, in passes. Uh, the only uh, metric in which the West Ham uh, players do uh, stack up pretty well is, of course, in the tackles department where Thomas Suchek leads the way, 66 tackles. Declan Rice is second on 64 and Thomas Partey is third on 58. Now, I was having a chat with someone about these stats uh, the other day and we were talking about this tackles stat and, you know, how that can paint a bit of a false picture and, and you know, what does that mean, etc., uh, etc. Et and, um a mate of mine had said, oh, well, look at this player. He's got way more tackles than Thomas Partey or way more tackles than Granit Xhaka. And I think often people completely miss the point and the fact that actually, if you're making less tackles, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're not as good or as effective because what we often see is, you know, players that are on the ball a lot and teams that have the ball more than their opponents for the most part of games won't make as many tackles. Why would you? You're in possession. So, yeah, um, I think that's that can be a bit misleading. It's great to have uh, good uh, tackling stats and to be quite high up in the rankings in that sense, but it isn't. It isn't the be on end all, and I think people need to to be mindful of that. Uh, so, in terms of the starting eleven, then that I would uh, like to see Mikel Arteta go with, um, it's pretty self-explanatory for me. This was an easy one uh, to come up with, I think. So, I went with. Um, Aaron Ramsdale in goal. Uh, I've gone with Zinchenko, Gabriel Holding and White across the back line. I've gone with Partey, Xhaka and Odegaard in midfield with Martinelli from the left, Saka from the right and Gabriel Jesus through the middle. Now, I thought that Bukayo Saka wasn't as good as he can be at Liverpool the other day. Um, you've got to bear in mind that Liverpool will have looked to do a job on him. I think you can say the same of Martin Odegaard as well. He just wasn't quite at his best. Maybe that impacted Saka's performance. I don't know. Um, but the pair of them just weren't quite firing on all cylinders last weekend, I didn't feel. And actually, Arsenal's joy came from that combination of Martinelli and Jesus down that left-hand side. And of course, Granit Xhaka contributing as well, playing balls in behind nice and early for both of those two players to chase onto the end of. Somebody suggested to me that maybe it is time to to bring Leandro Trossard back into the starting lineup, that maybe a bit of rotation uh, and maybe uh, a bit of a shake-up would do Arsenal good. I think it would give us fresh legs, maybe. And I think that that is something that I can entertain or, or, or can, you know, accept is a, is a valid argument and a valid point. But I think we've scored goals lately, you know, and we've scored a lot of goals lately, um, you know, three against Bournemouth, three against Fulham, four against Palace, four against Leeds uh, and two at Anfield, despite not taking all three points. We still managed to get a couple of goals there and, and look to threat going forward. So I don't really want to tinker too much with that team and with that 11. So whilst I accept that there probably will be people out there that feel Leandro Trossard is worthy of a start, I wouldn't make that decision personally. 
that's not the way I would go. Um, he's a great option to bring on, and and I think we we might need him at some point in the game. But I just think that that front three of Martinelli, Jesus, and Saka is our best front three at the moment. And um, you know what we've got now is maybe when Saka is a little bit below par, we've got Martinelli being able to step it up, and vice versa. And we've got options, and that is a really really powerful thing. So. That's the team I'd go with. Let me just run through it once again for those of you listening on audio. Ramsdale in goal, White holding Gabriel and Zinchenko, Partey, Xhaka and Odegaard in midfield with Martinelli, Saka and Jesus uh, through the middle. So that's my 11 to face West Ham. In terms of a prediction, ooh, um, what am I going to go with in terms of a prediction? I think I'm going to agree with Toby. I'm, I think I'm going to go with a 3-1. I think Arsenal have shown they've got a lot of firepower at the moment. I think we've also shown that we're quite susceptible from set pieces. And I think that's the one thing that I would expect West Ham to make good use of, really. So I'm going to go for a 3-1 Arsenal win. I think we we may concede from a set piece, uh, but I think we'll have enough firepower overall um, to, to put this West Ham side, who are low on confidence, who are having a difficult season, who did play last night as well out in Europe, uh, we could potentially put them to the sword on that basis. So 3-1 Arsenal is my prediction as well. Right, get some of your questions in uh, before we say our goodbyes. I'll take a couple. I've, I've starred a couple in the chat um, that I saw coming through um, earlier on. Uh, let's take this one from Kenny, who's been having a go at me in the chat today uh, because of my stance on Rob Holding. I wonder if he put this comment in before I said that I was going to back off him and just get behind him and support the team because I am desperate more than anyone, believe me, for Arsenal to go out and finish the job and for Arsenal to go on and win this Premier League. You would not believe the shit I copped um, for, for supporting Mikel Arteta. You will not believe the shit I copped for backing Unai Emery. Uh, sorry, wanting Unai Emery to go. I didn't back him at all and that was something I was heavily criticised for. I think I was proven right with Unai Emery and I think Mikel Arteta is on his way to proving me right as well. So I'm not going to apologise for my opinions. I get lots of things wrong, obviously, uh, as lots of people do. Um, but I'm not going to apologise for for believing that Rob Holding is a downgrade on, on William Saliba. I'm not going to apologise for being concerned or worried about the fact that he is in the heart of our defence at a time where we're pushing for the Premier League title. Because this is not just based on watching Rob Holding over the last five, six weeks. We've seen Rob Holding at Arsenal for a number of years. And so we know what he's all about. This is what I see from Rob Holding isn't a surprise to me. Um, but this is what Kenny says. He says, Harry, knowing um, you as a fighter for players with limited ability, why are you into why are you digging into Rob Holding and very protective of Xhaka? Both have one thing in common, limited ability. See, I disagree with that. I think Granite Xhaka's got way more ability than Rob Holding. I just think that Granite Xhaka was exposed in the system we were playing um, and the narrative around him was unfair. When people are having a go at Rob Holding, it's not because they don't like him. It's because they don't rate him as a footballer. And that's fine. It's not personal. But with Granite Xhaka, the personal stuff had spilled over. And now people were talking about him in a certain way and I think overblowing his limitations as a footballer because they didn't like him on a personal level. Now, Rob Holding doesn't have that problem because Rob Holding is a very likable character and, and a very different type of character to Granite Xhaka. But 
when I sit here and I say that I worry about Rob Holding, it's because I believe that we have to be at an absolutely elite level to pip one of the best teams I've ever seen in my lifetime to the Premier League title. And so naturally, I feel like there isn't much room for error. And based on years and years of evidence with Rob Holding, I think he has errors in him. Um, but as I've said already on this episode of the show, I am going to back off. I am going to take a step back because I don't want him to to be feeling the pressure. I want him to go out the way he will. Everyone will. But I want to limit that pressure. And not that Rob Holding listens to what I say, but I think, you know, the narratives that that are going around and and the impact they can have, I think, is is immeasurable. I think it's difficult to understand how that filters through to a player. So why take the risk at this point? I don't think he's as good as William Saliba. I'll be clear on that. This will be the last time I'll say it until William Saliba returns. I don't think he's as good as Saliba. I do worry about him in the heart of our defence, but it is what it is. We don't have an option and we don't have an alternative at this moment in time. Raul says, uh, what's your impression on Raul Waters? I read the Athletics article, thought he was a good fit at right centre-back uh, moving forward once holding is gone. I really liked what I saw of Raul Waters in the preseason tour uh, last season. I thought he was great. Um, and then I wondered if he would get an opportunity um, to, to kind of showcase that this season. And obviously with our early exit in some of the cup competitions, I don't think he got, got the opportunities that he deserved. But based on that article that we read today, it does look like Arsenal are taking steps to try and prepare him for first team football. And I think he's one who has a really, really bright future. Um, right back though, or right centre-back, I'm not really sure. Um, I think that Mikel Arteta has shown that he wants fullbacks that are somewhat of the profile of centre-backs, perhaps, uh, sorry, particularly on that right-hand side, Tommy Asu, Ben White. So I think that Raw Waters probably fits into that mould. And listen, we keep talking about the centre-back issue at the moment, and we forget that actually the reason this is a much bigger problem than it should be is because Tommy Asu's out for the season. And with him being out, it takes away the possibility of putting Ben White back inside or plugging Tommy Asu in at centre-back alongside Gabriel. So, yeah, um, it's um, it's a tough one to know how Raw Waters would, would fit in at the moment. It's certainly not a risk I'd be taking today. Uh, but I think you need to bed these players in at some point. Pre-season always feels like a good time to do that. And, um, and I'm hopeful that he's got a big future ahead of him. But right now, it's difficult to know where he's at in terms of his progression because you often watch these players with the under-21s, under-18s, and it's a different standard, a different level. It's a totally different game, almost a different sport. That's how different it can be at times. And so I don't want to draw conclusions too much from them. I want him to be drip-fed into the first team over the course of pre-season and, and during some of the cup games, and then we can have a real look at him and uh, and gain a real understanding of where exactly he's at. Mikel obviously sees him in training, and it's good to see that he's training with the first team. It means he's a part of the plan. It will be another uh, sort of example of, of how the pathway exists at Arsenal Football Club for young players developing and wanting to push forward in their careers. Uh, let's take this one from Mickey, who says, uh, Harry, what do you think about Trossard replacing Odegaard since both Trossard and Jesus drop deep and Trossard can control the ball in tight spaces? I think Odegaard had a, a bit of a disappointing game at Anfield, but not disappointing enough for me to take him out of the starting lineup, given how impactful he's been for Arsenal this season, the fact that he's our captain and the fact that he's a real key part in the things that we do well. 
you've also got to bear in mind the history that he has at the London Stadium. Uh, Mikel Arteta sort of referred to history in specific stadiums, didn't he, when he was talking about Trossard last week. Um, he obviously sees that as something. It probably played a part in his thinking in the week leading up to the game. But obviously, in the end, he decided that Trossard wasn't going to start. I wouldn't take Odegaard out. I don't expect Mikel to take Odegaard out. And I don't really want Trossard as part of that midfield trio. I think he's someone that could play anywhere across our front three. And I'm OK with that. But not uh, not for me as part of the midfield three. So I personally uh, wouldn't touch that. Uh, do 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 Let's see uh, what else we've got. I'm going to just take a couple more because um, I am pushed for time. But we are going to be back, of course, on Sunday uh, with the review podcast. Um, And, of course, we'll be back to our 4.30 p.m. slot uh, from Monday, uh, as we've done every day this week. We've been on fire keeping that content coming. Um, I've been able to stick to that schedule, which has been really good. Really pleased with that. Deflected mind, should we sell Balogun, Harry? Question I've been asked a lot over the last few days. Should Arsenal sell following Balogun? Obviously, he's having a wonderful season in France, scoring goals. I think he's the second top goal scorer in the French Ligue at the moment. Flying, reputation building all the time. Should we sell him? That depends on a few things. It's not a, a straightforward black and white answer as far as I'm concerned. So, do I think that he's got a future at Arsenal Football Club? My answer to that would be if he wants one. Do I see Mikel Arteta bringing him back and popping him ahead of Eddie and Ketia in the striker rankings, if you like? Not sure. And that's not because he hasn't had a wonderful loan spell. It's because I believe that Mikel Arteta believes a lot in Eddie and Ketia. Maybe more than he should. There's an argument to say that. Gabriel Jesus is obviously the number one and deservedly so. Balogun, if he is to have a career at Arsenal, needs to be patient. Has he got that patience, though? He's gone out. He's tasted playing week in, week out, scoring goals, feeling good about himself, having a rhythm to everything that he does. I'm not sure he would want to go back now to being a bit part player somewhere. And so if he doesn't want to stay and he's got his eyes elsewhere, and a reasonable offer comes in. And when I say reasonable, I'm talking in the region of 30 million, 30 million euros, 35 million euros. I think that's about right. You know, I, I think that is anything between 30 and 40 million euros, I think, is what you can expect to get from a player that has had one good season in a league that is a good league. It's one of the top five in Europe, but isn't a very elite level league. If somebody came and knocked on my door and said, here's 30 to 40 million euros for following Balogun and I was in charge of Arsenal's recruitment strategy and and in charge of the finances, I'd say, no problem, let's do it. Especially given what the player's stance is reportedly in terms of him wanting game time and feeling like he deserves those guarantees. I back him for having that confidence. I'm not one of those people that looks at a young player who says, I want to play and goes... Well, you need to earn it, son. You're out of line here. Get back in your box. Get back in your lane and and stop complaining. I'm not in that camp when it comes to these things. I believe it's a good thing that a young player is hungry and wants to play. And I do feel like following Balogun feels like this has been his breakout season. And 
when you're trying to build a career in something, in any walk of life, in any job, in any profession, the last thing you want to do when you feel progress is take a step back. Now, sometimes, again, in all walks of life, you will have to take a step back before you can take another step forward. But following Balogun won't want to do that. If he did do that, it would be reluctantly. And so I think a lot of this depends on where the players are. I think Mikel Arteta wants him. I think he wants to have a look at him. I think that Arsenal, as a football club, will probably want to extend his contract further, which currently runs until 2025, if I'm not mistaken. And I think that they will make every effort to do that. And then we'll find out how hard the player's stance is on, I want to go or I want to stay. Because if they make him a good offer and they you know, make it clear what the pathway is for him and, and how likely it is that he's going to play and, you know, maybe say to him, you're going to play in the cup competitions, etc. If they manage to do that, then, and then and he stays, then it means he wasn't as adamant that he wants a move as some of the aggregators and journalists are reporting at the moment. So we'll have to see how this plays out. But as I say, there is a price in my mind at which I would sell Balogun, but that is obviously dependent on what he wants to do as well, because I don't want people that aren't on board. I don't want people that aren't engaged and and um, and sort of fully committed to this project. I think Mikel Arteta has shown that when you get rid of those types of characters and you surround yourself by people that are engaged and that are committed, you can make the world of difference just in that. So, yeah, um, it depends on, on where his head's at as well. Going to take this one finally from uh, Baguma who says, uh, away from football, because of the stress of being on top, I forgot to buy a gift for my wife for our five-year anniversary. I hope Harry can save me with a shout-out to Emma. That would save the day. Emma, happy anniversary. Happy fifth-year anniversary. Uh, do forgive, uh, my good friend, uh, for uh, forgetting to get you a gift. If it makes you feel better, I always forget to get my wife gifts. Um, when it was her birthday back in January, uh, a friend of hers sent a bouquet of flowers to my house. And, um, and it was only when beg your pardon, don't know what happened there. It was only when they were discussing it. Did you, did you catch what I said? So uh, back in January, when it was my wife's birthday, a friend of hers sent a bouquet of flowers um to our house and i was at work at the time and it was only when that bouquet of flowers was being discussed and um <laughs> and uh, they were sharing pictures of it in the whatsapp group that we were all in did i remember shit i better buy a gift and i managed to get a, a bunch of flowers from liverpool street station uh, on my way home so um you're not the only one that forgets and especially with the nerves uh, that come from this title race and and the way we're feeling from day to day at the moment, I think you can be forgiven. But uh, honestly, happy uh, five-year anniversary to both of you. Uh, wish you all the best. Have a great night. Uh, get a meal in, whatever. Enjoy yourselves. And um, and fingers crossed we get three points at the weekend because that feels like it's a little bit more important than any anniversary. Sorry, um, sorry Emma, but um, that's, uh, that's what I've been telling my wife all season. Anyway, um, right. I'm going to leave it there. Thank you all so, so much for tuning in. As always, I really, really do appreciate it. Uh, if you're listening on the audio, then please do uh, leave us a review. Subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. And I'll see you all on Sunday 
with another episode of the Chronicles of Aguna. Until then, thanks for tuning in. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.